Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here leading you through these hard times, Zeta, with another WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And while the on-air WWE product has certainly been affected by the coronavirus pandemic, there is no shortage of things to talk about, considering wrestling is the one genre somehow still airing live original programming, and there seems to be something new to talk about every day. Before we get into that, a reminder that it is all about the five. Drop us that five-star review and some words of praise. You know, give us both, not just one, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for new episode releases, wrestling tweets, and much, much more. Okay, on to the show. You guys know I always keep it 100 here on Getting Over, so I do have a couple things to address off the top before we get to the wrestling talk. First, I have seen your messages asking uh, for a soundboard during the show, along with improved audio quality. Um, No, you guys should all know that both are definitely in my plans, but they do require technology that I don't necessarily have right now, uh, and probably a little bit of soundproofing for my new office that I just built. So I want these things as soon as possible. Um, you know, I've never really considered asking for money or donations or anything like that, especially with what is going on right now. But if there is legitimate interest in that happening, I would definitely consider starting a Patreon or a Kickstarter or something like that for a very low amount just to get the equipment that is needed to give you the show that you want. Now, in the interim, I'm going to do my best to try to insert some sound effects in post-production here. So hopefully today's show is a little bit more along the lines of what you guys have come to know and love. But please let me know, tweet at me, uh, at Silverstein Adam or at Getting Overcast, if you're actually interested in contributing some small amount uh, to the technology portion of this show. I don't ultimately think it would take too much, but if you guys actually want that, then I am happy to set something like that up and see where it takes us. Uh, Also, some of you have asked about Dave's whereabouts. Uh, The long and short of it is he has decided not to talk wrestling while this you know, coronavirus situation is unfolding globally. So I'm going going to adjust accordingly in the interim. Uh, And after doing a fantastic job in his debut as an enhancement talent last week, I'm thrilled to welcome back longtime wrestling fan and sports journalism colleague, uh, Chris Vanini, to a more significant role here on Getting Over. Chris, welcome back to Getting Over. We're going to try to get you over. That's, That's now the goal of the show. How do we get Chris over? I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate all the good feedback. Uh, I'm now, instead of being that weekly jobber, maybe trying to get that full-time contract and I'm ready to make my push. You're, I think you're in that old Cedric Alexander, like cruiserweight classic role. Exactly. How, how do we get you, you know, full-time and some big, uh, some big opportunities only for us to put you in a a big time feud with AJ Styles and then just drop you completely after that. That's going to be the goal. I'm ready for it. Okay. Well, we have an absolutely jam packed show here today with plenty to talk about from WWE. Don't forget to stay tuned after our main segments for Getting Overtime, where I will answer your questions and DM slides. You guys sent plenty of them this week, but it's time to get into the main event. And the main event this week is more changes to WrestleMania 36. Uh, There were multiple matches that have been added and or made official to this card, Chris. And we're kind of going to go through them one by one, Um, we can save some of the analysis. I think you'll understand where we get to it for later in the show. For example, I want to start with Randy Orton versus Edge, but I don't want to talk about that promo 
quite yet. We're going to save that for the end of the main event. Uh, but they have solidified Randy Orton versus Edge in a last man standing match, and they have solidified AJ Styles versus The Undertaker in what they are calling a boneyard match. Um, I know what a last man standing match is. I think I have a pretty good idea of what a last man standing match will look like in the Performance Center, considering we just basically saw one from uh, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa a couple weeks ago on NXT, where they had that great brawl uh, backstage and, and into the gym and all over the place. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, I'm less excited about AJ Styles, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Still, I think he's at age 40 or near age 40 against The Undertaker, who we certainly know is over the hill uh, in a boneyard match. I don't know what a boneyard match is. I guess it's a buried alive match, but they're not going to do a burial. So what the hell is this match? What do you think it's going to be? And what do you think of these two stipulations for these two matches? So Edge and Randy Orton, love what they're doing. Love that they're putting a stip on it. I'm just not a fan of last man standing matches because that 10 count, like you don't have the false finishes, the the 10 counts and stuff like that. When when it comes to these blood feuds, the the type of stip I'd rather see is no DQ false count anywhere. I feel like false count anywhere, especially in an empty performance center is, is what you'd rather see. Now I I think I'm sure it'll be a great match. They'll come up with some great stuff, uh, but uh, I'm not super high on last man standing. Uh, as for the other one, I actually think it's a good idea to have some sort of weird stipulation for Undertaker AJ. I don't want to see them have a regular match. I don't want to see Undertaker have a normal 20-minute match or something like that. Make it weird. Uh, do something with it to get around his physical limitations. So we'll have to see what a Boneyard match exactly is, I guess. But I'm optimistic about that. And I'm kind of just in eh, a last man standing match for Edge Randy Orton again because just not a fan of that stip in general. So I don't completely disagree with you. I, I don't mind a last man standing match. If you look at Gargano and Champa when they actually had one, I'm forgetting what takeover it was off the top of my head, but they booked that so incredibly well. Um, they did figure out a way to give us false finishes where you thought these it was going to be a, a double count out basically, um, or you thought would think each guy is going to miss the count, but suddenly they would win. And they gave us a surprise actual finish, if you remember by Champa dangling by the... Uh, the handcuff, right? That, that's a very unique finish to a match like that. Yeah, so that's fair. It, it can be done well. I don't think this will be done well. At least I don't think the stipulation part of it will be done well. Um, you're right. I think Falls Count Anywhere would have been a far better stipulation in this case. Last Man Standing to me, just like an I Quit match, is something that you utilize at the end of a feud. So if a feud is going on for multiple months and there's interferences or you know, each guy has a win and you have a rubber match. That's where you institute last man standing as a, this is a last ditch effort to get a winner and and also not necessarily hurt the loser that much because you're not getting pinned. You're not taking the one, two, three or submitting. So you're right. False count anywhere would have been better in this situation. The one reason I like both of these matches is because WrestleMania 36 this year in the Performance Center is going to get boring. Not that I'm saying it's going to be bad, I just think the monotony of matches in that performance center ring, it's going to get old. It's going to get tired, right? Um, So I like the idea that WWE took two matches. And and look, there may be more to come. There's some rumors that maybe John Cena versus Bray Wyatt could be a Firefly Funhouse match, or they could do something House of Horrors-esque with it. You know, I don't don't know what they're going to do there or with every other match on the card. But for these two, it is something that is going to take us out of the performance center. And... Because they're taping the show, 
they have a really good opportunity to make these like perfect, as perfect as they can be at least. Now, in terms of the Boneyard match stipulation, um, I think it's a way for them to do a, basically a match in the cemetery without calling it a cemetery, without referring to death, um, not not a quote unquote buried alive match. Um, would a casket match have been better? Possibly. I think it would have made more sense for AJ Styles to have said, hey, let's do a, you know, a, a casket match in the Performance Center where I'm going to, this is something that you made your name of over all the years. Let's do it. He, Undertaker's never been in a Boneyard match. So for Styles to st- say that this is something that um, is Taker-esque, it's really not, at least not by by virtue of the name. So that may be nitpicking a little bit, but I do think you're right that Styles Undertaker having this particular stipulation will probably make the bat the match better than it would have been in a stadium for 15 minutes with the Undertaker being good for about seven and then being carried for the last seven of the match. Yeah, you know, after Matt Hardy's appearance in um, AEW last week, I went back, back and watched all the final deletion various matches. And it just made me think that there is a real opportunity because this is taped to do something interesting, do something fun. Maybe it's that far five fun house match. Maybe the boneyard matches in a graveyard or something. I don't know, but there is a real opportunity here with this being taped. I think your championship matches can be regular matches in the ring. That's fine, but everything else, you got to make it interesting because I agree with you that it's going to probably get boring in in many spots. So you got to make it interesting. Uh, I, I appreciate the steps. And again, I, I think they'll be fine. Uh, overall, I, I think it's generally a good call. Yeah, I, I did. I did always expect a stipulation for Orton Edge. I don't know if that was always going to be it. So I am kind of curious to see, you know, or, or find out maybe at a later date what the plan was for that feud. Um, it is a little bit unfortunate because that has been as well built as a WWE non-title non-title storyline has been in a decade um, for WrestleMania, and for to see it kind of end in an empty arena, uh, even in a last man standing situation, you know, it's a little disappointing. Whereas some of the other matches we're going to talk about later, it's like, I could, I could kind of care less, you know, um, yeah, any, but it, anything, anything in an empty arena is just instantly going to not look great. So if there's any way you can change that background to something outside, uh, any way you can change it, it'll make it a little bit better because you, you can't just cannot deal with those NPCs for, um, for WrestleMania, and we'll get into what they end up doing on Raw later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we will do full predictions for WrestleMania 36 on next week's show. I don't know if it's going to be a special episode, if it'll be our WWE episode, but we will talk Mania 36 next week. Uh, those are not the other, the only matches, though, that were added. They also added Aleister Black versus Bobby Lashley, Chris. And, you know, I think WWE is in a really tough spot here where they had a lot of programs that they were planning to build for Mania over the final four weeks. And I'm going to pause there and just say this as well. This to me is, and not, this has nothing to do with coronavirus. Um, This has to do with dating back to Survivor Series and really the Royal Rumble as well. This to me is the worst built WrestleMania in terms of the major matches on the card that I can ever remember. Um, Especially thinking about last year, the build with Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey, obviously Charlotte involved. They ended up falling into, but still, nevertheless, had a long, solid build to Kofi Kingston versus Daniel Bryan. Same with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. The title matches this year, all, and the main matches this year, all feel thrown together. Um, And this was before, again, before coronavirus, when WWE still thought they were going to have the show at Raymond James. So because of that, um, 
you know, I think WWE certainly deserves criticism, criticism for that. But because of that, I don't necessarily mind that they're just going to throw on Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley, which I think could end up being a very good match. Um, but there's zero storyline reason for it whatsoever. I think at this point, WWE's had to probably take out some of the planned matches they had for Mania, either because they're unable to build them on TV or because the people are sick or quarantined or just have chosen not to perform. Um, and if they're giving us this match, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't know. When, when we got that Elias King Corbin match announced last week, that's when I started to have a bad feeling of where this was going to head. Uh, with two nights, there was an, either an opportunity to limit it and stretch matches out or add a lot of filler. And it looks like they're going to add a lot of filler, at least some filler. Um, Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley, again, it'll be fine, but it, it, it's not a WrestleMania match. And, and th- that's where I thought that they were going to come in and put the NXT matches on that card. I thought that would have been a great right. way to make both nights feel really big with a ton of big matches. Instead, they announced that NXT is going to uh, just be played out on the TV show weekly, which I get because they need to come up with some stuff, but still, it's going gonna, it's gonna to water down WrestleMania. They already have, I think, 13 matches over two nights, and a lot of these are just, eh. eh. There's well, a lot of matches that I'm just not super into. So this is what I'll say. The Elias King Corbin match, that's not thrown on the card. They had been building that since the end of the Reigns feud. This was a planned match, whether you believe that John Cena was originally meant to face Elias, which was the rumor, uh, at least according to Dave Meltzer. Um, and then they switched that with the Bray Wyatt losing the title and Goldberg and all that. But since that happened on TV and live in front of people, they had been building towards Elias King Corbin. So... I hate the match. I have zero interest in it at a WrestleMania. Literally 0.0. Um, but that was at least their plan. So that doesn't sure. feel as that doesn't feel as thrown together to me as Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley. Now, what I'm what I'm kind of saying is like there could be worse matches. But the problem, and this is always the problem with WWE, is there could also be better matches. Because why? Yes. Well, the other match I wanted to talk about is they have also announced a Raw Tag Team Championship match between the Street Profits against Andrade and Angel Garza. And don't get me wrong, that match in terms of in-ring could actually wind up stealing the entire show. It is legitimately possible that that is a memorable match from WrestleMania 36, and that's crazy to say. Okay, but one of the greatest and most underrated NXT matches of all time is Andrade Cien Almas back then against Aleister Black for the NXT title when Black won the the championship. Mm -hmm. They could have had a rematch of that for the U.S. title on WrestleMania. You have Andrade, who's had a very long U.S. title reign. He's solidified. You could move him into the main event picture if he loses the title. And you have Aleister Black, who, despite a hiccup here or there, has had a dominant run in Raw on Raw since the brand split happened in October and Paul Heyman decided to build him. This would have been the perfect opportunity because they're not able to do the U.S. title match that they were going to do. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, But this would have been the perfect opportunity to put two of your best workers together in a ring, change the title, and have Aleister Black walk out as champion and and move Andrade to the main event picture. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. And if you're looking at who the Street Profits would have to fight, I mean, the tag team divisions have been a mess for a while, and clearly it's not a point of emphasis. But imagine if we got the Street Profits versus the Revival for a WrestleMania tag team match, like... That would have it would have been you you get a, another great in ring match and you'd have a better 
U.S. title picture right there. I mean, well, we don't, you know, we don't need to get down the road of all the fantasy booking, but you're right that yeah. there are simple ways to to have just make make the matches that don't feel like they're a big deal at all into at least something. Yeah, I mean, look, they could have done a title versus title match, SmackDown versus Raw. They could have yeah. Usos and New Day and thrown everyone in there. Um, they could have done a lot of stuff. They could have just honestly not had a Raw tag team title match because guess what? They're not going to have a U.S. title match. Now, right. he will be involved, um, but you could have taken the Street Profits and had them do commentary, had them sit ringside. We we talked last week about all the ways. Could have had them host. Could have had them host instead of or alongside Gronk. So yeah. there's a million things they could have done with these Street Profits. They didn't need to have a match. Whereas Andrade Black, uh, that you're, I mean, you're killing it. That's, that's a sick match people are going to go nuts for. And the reason why that's even a situation um, is because Meltzer, Dave Meltzer, has reported that Rey Mysterio is in quarantine right now. I don't know if he's sick. I don't, you know, I'm not putting anything on there. I'm not reporting anything. But apparently Rey Mysterio is not able to be there for the match. Meltzer also reported he thought they were going Andrade versus Mysterio one-on-one, which already, Chris, would have been a massive disappointment to me. I wanted that Lucha Fader fail four-way. It seemed pretty clear they were building to that. So, you know, are these the worst case scenarios? No, you could have had really two really bad matches. I think WWE at least, and, and hopefully you agree, has given us an opportunity where Aleister Black can get over on Bobby Lashley, which is a huge win. It keeps his high trajectory going, keeps his momentum going. And a tag team championship match where Kansas haven't really the titles. They won them, obviously. Uh, but it wouldn't hurt them to get strong. And it doesn't hurt if Daniel Garza takes a pen. So I think they've at least put a situation together where we can have two entertaining matches with finishes that make sense. Yeah, and he, I, you know, Alistair Black facing actual wrestlers and not jobbers, and no offense to Leon <laughs> Ruff, who's been great, but I'm sure Alistair Black taking down uh, Bobby Lash will, will look much better and hopefully finally move him forward, like you said. That was probably the best entry WWE's had. I guess, uh, <laughs> Leon Ruff, I'm not, I'm not even impressed because it was entertaining, it was short, and it was negative. Right? Like, I. What the hell are they doing here? And you hear the Hampton talent getting upset and frustrated at what was happening. And it looked like, oh, maybe they're actually going to have a match. And then he hits the black mask. I thought that was executed perfectly, honestly. Um, but yeah, okay, moving on here. So other things that are kind of going on regarding WrestleMania 36 and WWE, and we're going to talk about, we have some other stuff to talk about here, but ESPN uh, announced late last week that they are going to be airing classic WrestleManias. They are WrestleMania 30 on Sunday. They're airing 32 this upcoming Sunday. And then they're going to add uh, air WrestleMania 35 preceding WrestleMania 36. I believe that's going to be Saturday, if, if memory serves. Maybe it's Sunday. Uh, on the WWE uh, Network, obviously preceding Mania. Um, you know, I find it interesting, right? I, I, I would be very curious, and I have not checked the ratings, but I am kind of curious to see what that WrestleMania 30 replay actually did from a ratings perspective. Um, ultimately though, for ESPN, I think it's a no brainer. They needed, they need content. They need programming. I don't even know if they pay WWE for these, but from a WWE perspective, I thought it was genius. Not only did they get their product on ESPN, which people are definitely turning into, um, but they were able to promote the WWE network and WrestleMania 36 at a time where they need all the promotion they can get considering it's not going to be at the arena or at the stadium. So I just thought it was a genius move for both companies. Uh, now that said, watching it, I didn't love it. I, I tried to watch some of the matches. I, I'm watching The Wire. I'm running through it for anyone who follows me on Twitter. You guys know I'm into The Wire. Um, 
So I didn't really love the presentation, but I think for the casual fan, it was a great move. Yeah, you know, this is the exact thing we talked about last week that they needed to do to, to get it out there to an audience who's maybe a lapsed fan or something like that. And I think starting with WrestleMania 30 was a great way to do it. Um, I'm not sure about some of the other decisions in terms of which uh, WrestleMania they chose, like choosing WrestleMania 32 was right. is, a, is a weird decision. I mean, I guess because it has the big crowd, but man, that was not, that that was not, not. the WrestleMania yeah. you want to show to other people. Um no. You know, part part of me was thinking like, hey, show WrestleMania 17. It's the best is the best WrestleMania. But you're going to have to cut out a lot of stuff that definitely yeah. does not hold up well, whether it's a match or whether it's commentary. Uh, and, and so I get it from that standpoint. But like I watched WrestleMania three yesterday on the network, just the whole thing start to finish while I was working. And, you know, I, I think they could get something out of that as well. You know, it doesn't even if it was a truncated version but i do get showing the new ones with the current wrestlers and stuff like that but it's a great call uh, it's something i was wondering if fox was going to do this as well yeah uh, gets, gets some certain wrestlemanias but i think it's a great play by espn they need content it's a great play by wwe they get more people on it wwe is also making the network uh, partly open to anybody right now i think it's a great decision uh and uh the only thing is it brought back the idea of having actual WrestleMania on Fox instead yeah, uh, to continue that. But, you know, we already talked about that. Well, yeah, but I mean, so yes, the reason they chose those manias is because they either wanted something that had to do with current storylines, for example, Cena, Wyatt and Brian winning the title and at least they're relevant and current superstars, which I think airing WrestleMania 35 is genius, especially if they really strongly promote Kofi Kingston and Becky Lynch. Granted, Kofi doesn't even have a match, although I think we all expect them to be in the SmackDown tag team title match by the time SmackDown ends on Friday. Um, but I think that's what they chose those. And I'm fine with that. Regarding the, the WWE Network thing you brought up, again, another genius move. Um, they've basically, for anyone who doesn't know, they've made the best parts, I guess, of the WWE Network free. And you don't even have to subscribe. It's for a limited time. I don't know if it's through Mania or through the... Or through the uh, coronavirus pandemic, but it's it's free right now. So you can go watch every Mania, every Royal Rumble, the Monday Night War series, a ton of great content on the network. Uh, but then they want you to subscribe, of course, for WrestleMania 36, but that's also free for new subscribers. So theoretically, you can get like at a minimum six weeks of WWE Network, including Mania for free, which I think is a genius move for them to take advantage of this opportunity. But I do agree. And we did talk about it last week. I really thought they were going to put Mania on Fox. And I am surprised that the re-airing of these manias is not happening on happening on Fox or NBC, and it ends up happening on ESPN. Maybe that does speak to them airing the big four pay-per-views on ESPN+. Plus. That's another topic for another day. I think that would be a huge mistake, but we'll get to that at another time. Uh, a couple other things to get to here in the main event before we move on to the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. Uh, as we mentioned, Rob Gronkowski is set to host WrestleMania. I just kind of wanted to have a quick discussion on your general thoughts to his debut on Friday and what the hell he's going to do at Mania. Because Friday, dude, um, you know, I don't think it was as objectionable as some people, you know, made it seem on Twitter, like it was the worst thing they'd ever seen. But Gronk dancing like that to absolutely no one. I mean, Asuka can get away with it because she's Asuka, right? And it's funny and and it's great. Um Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak can do the yes chance to no one because it's tongue in cheek and we get it. But Gronk opening that show, dancing to the ring by himself to like techno music. I mean, it was just bad. Um, 
Mojo Raleigh being like back to the overhyped crazy dude to me is bad. Um, that said, once that BS ended, once the bullshit ended and they got into the segment with Elias and Baron Corbin, I'm not saying it was like Shakespeare, but it at least got me interested. I don't, I like Gronk standing face to face with Corbin. Corbin talking about both of them being former NFL players. That made sense. I didn't mind any of it. So the introduction, annoying, very WWE, very Fox, very, you know, having Michael Cole. Well, I don't even remember if Michael Cole was in the ring. I think he was, but that was annoying. Um, but the second half of the segment, I was like, you know what? This is how you want to use Gronk for the first time. I'm fine with it. You know, I had the exact same thought. I, I actually thought when Gronk was on the mic, he was fine. He was confident. He didn't feel out of place. Uh, they did what they did in there and it was it was fine. It, you're right. It was everything else. It was it was the, it was turning him into a caricature. Right. Which is which is what they do with everything. They have to take one aspect of somebody's character, crank it all the way up and it turns them into a caricature. And that's what we got with Gronk. We go, oh, he's the big party guy, doesn't have hands or whatever. No, how about a guy who's pretty serious going face to face with a guy who also played a little bit in the NFL? I love that little back and forth that they had there. Um, I, as with everything, if there was a little bit more seriousness and a little less, you know, dancing campiness. and whatnot, yeah, that that less campiness. I, I think it, it, yeah, then I think it could be something that gets a lot of people more interested. But instead, it becomes another branding opportunity so to speak he's already got a couple of shirts out already but uh you're right it, it wasn't as bad as people initially reacted on on social media as is usually the case With everything um, <laughs> I, so I, I mean i think there was something there i'm just not optimistic that they'll probably go in the direction with it that i think they should yeah i mean i legitimately don't know what he's going to do at mania i mean if he's there to introduce the show and like get hyped it's going to be really annoying yeah um uh if if they're going to involve him in the Elias Corbin match somehow, if he's going to be like the ringside enforcer and then he gets involved and does some stuff with Corbin, pushes him around. That could be cool. What I liked though, was that they had four big guys in the ring. They had Mojo, you know, Gronk, uh, Corbin and Elias. And you're like, man, there's some beef here, right? Like this isn't, they didn't put him in the ring with Daniel Bryan or something like that. They, they made it count where like you could see that this guy is not just a former football player, but he stands toe to toe with, with some of WWE's not tallest, but biggest, you know, muscular, really more um, Elias than than Corbin in that respect. But yeah, some of their big, but some of their biggest dudes, and like I liked that. I liked seeing Gronk, and like you said, he did. He held his own on the mic. And by the way, the entire segment, I think the entire segment works in front of a crowd. But because there was no crowd, mm -hmm. that's why I think the first half failed. That's fair. And you know, I, I watched the the network came out with that Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone, Untold. Uh, series right. a couple days ago and I watched that and they talked about Carl Malone being physically, you know, ripped and he looked like he belonged in the ring. Maybe, you know, technically not quite, but physically he did. And that added to everything. And I think that's exactly what you get with Gronk. Like you said, when you have him in there with a bunch of big guys, if it legitimizes everybody around him, when you bring them up to a professional athletes level instead of going at the other way around or, or treating somebody like a celebrity and, and they're off to the side. So you're right. If he's, you know, that that uh, running thing he did against gender at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, that was a that was a strong looking move. It was, I hate the phrase look strong, but any way, any way you can make Gronk look like a serious athlete in the ring and not a goofy guy, it makes everybody around him look better in that segment. Right. Like I, I honestly would have preferred like a clothesline over him pushing 
him over Mojo Raleigh on the ground and, and, you know, like doing like the, like the schoolyard bullying type of thing, but it wasn't bad. And, you know, there is something to say, you know, Carl Malone, Lawrence Taylor, um, Gronk, there's something to say for like real strong, large professional athletes that care and like the product and get into it that I have always appreciated. Not so much like Tyson Fury, who was just, it was, casual and it happened to work that he had enough time to do it. Did he train? Yeah. I'm not saying the guy didn't work hard, but it looked like garbage and he's just tall and big and and he doesn't fit that athletic persona, uh, um, the athletic look, not persona uh, of someone like an LT, like a Carl Malone, like a Gronk. So look, LT at WrestleMania, Bam Bam Bigelow, should it have main evented? No. But was it exciting? And did I did I get into LT? Absolutely. I thought it was awesome back then. The Carl Malone thing. I was not a huge WCW fan, but I liked that, and I did tune in for that. I cared. So I care about Gronk and WWE. I hate the Patriots. I don't like him particularly very much, but I do like the idea of a former NFL player who has size, who has some charisma, being in WWE. And I think if they give it some thought uh, and actually try to book him. I think it could work. And I am curious to see what long-term his situation is with the company. I hope it's not only hosting and BS like this. Hope he does get in the ring occasionally. Uh, Before we move on further, uh, the only other thing I wanted to address here in the main event were some uh, adjustments that WWE made from a production standpoint. We saw uh, the camera angle switch, obviously, something we talked about last week to focus on the stage. Uh, Actually, what we did, we, we talked about what AEW did right this was on yes. the AEW, the uh, Wednesday show, uh, the Wednesday Night Wars show, which came out last Thursday. So listen to our conversation. I thought it was really good on uh, what Dynamite did right and what WWE could learn from it. And I was honestly concerned when we saw Friday, when we saw SmackDown, and I was like, nothing changed. They just don't get it. They don't care. But maybe it was just a, too quick of a turnaround you know, for them in one day to totally change the look. They took the weekend. They switched the camera angle to focus on the stage. Uh, the hard cam side. They added some additional screens around the set. They extended the barricade. There were no chairs at ringside. They darkened that area. Um, There were some other adjustments as well. There seemed to be lights on the ceiling and they just made it all more cinematic. I thought it was a drastic, drastic improvement from the first three empty performance center shows. Um, I think WWE is on the right track. Could they still do a couple more things to make it better? Yes, and maybe they will for Mania. They are taping WrestleMania. That's something that we forgot to mention earlier. But from a production standpoint, um, I thought doing that, having Asuka join commentary on Friday, having the Street Profits join on Monday, I thought it was really smart, solid decisions. Yeah, agree. It, it made watching matches a lot easier. And yes. if they got the idea from AEW, like, that's fine. That's good. That that's That's the whole point of having competition is you figure out what somebody else is doing well. And you use that as well. So I thought that was a great decision. I'm still on the fence about promos in the ring when it's empty. I think last week it worked with Edge because he was just fired up and angry and he just wanted to come out and just unleash himself. I wasn't so into it when it's AJ with the OC standing on the stage. I feel like you could just do these backstage and and some sort of background and kind of get the same thing across. I was thinking about that watching WrestleMania three yesterday. Every match had a, uh, had a, had a promo with a background right before they get into the match, just like old wrestling used to always have. And with the, with the Orton promo, I kind of wondered like if there was little ways they could do it differently, where maybe Orton wrestles Cedric Alexander or a job or whoever beats him real quick, 
and then cuts his promo. Because the idea of them just being there to just cut a promo, like if you think about it in kayfabe, it's kind of weird how it's all happening. It would kind of make sense if you had a match and a promo, a short match and a promo with it. I might be just nitpicking here, but I'm thinking about different ways that AEW did it last week. You had interviews going on in between the matches and everything kind of flowed a lot better and it wasn't as segmented, but a lot better than what we saw last week from Raw and SmackDown and uh, makes me optimistic that they'll figure out the best way to do WrestleMania. I do think the flow is something to certainly consider. And what you what you said makes a really good point. By the way, we didn't really talk about it, but like kudos to Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. That was an awesome match uh, with Andrade and uh, um, not what's his name? Uh, Angel Garza. I thought it was a great tag team match. Uh, the fact that Alexander got pinned and not Ricochet, I thought was at least like somewhat solid so that maybe Ricochet is not completely getting buried. Um, but if they put those two as a tag team, honestly, it works. So that was a great match. I thought they did a really good job in that segment. To your point, yeah. I, we actually had a DM slide from Matt Humphrey at Guitar Zon WSC, who says, I- I'm in favor of pre-taped backstage promos from here on out for WWE. Do it ECW TV style. Let the talent speak normally and without competing with the crowd. And I think that's basically what you said. And it makes for a great point Um, to go through those three major promos from the show. And I'm not going to count Baszler. That was an in-ring segment. And we'll also talk about that later. But AJ Styles, I thought was rough. Um, I like playing off your group uh, with Gallows and Anderson and the joking nature of it. And AJ Styles as a heel is meant to be annoying. You know, that's that's the character that he is. Um, but I just thought it fell flat. Uh, I didn't think it was very good promo work from him. And certainly Styles is great in the ring and he's totally fine on promo, but he's not top tier. What I think we saw later in the show, though, was top two top tier promos. And uh, since you mentioned it first, I was going to save it for last. But the Randy Orton promo, um, I want us to take a listen to it right now uh, and then we're going to talk about it. But let's go ahead and hear what WWE presented us from Randy Orton to close Raw on Monday night. Now. Edge, I'm talking to you. I am here tonight to respond to your challenge from last week, but first there's something that I need to get off my chest. I need to apologize. You see, three weeks ago, I lied to your wife. I lied to Beth right in that ring when I said that you were a junkie for the roar of the crowd. You're not a junkie for the roar of the crowd, Edge. You're a junkie for your own ego. Adam Copeland is a junkie for Edge. One year after I was called up to the main roster, Edge, I won the IC Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, and less than a year after that, I became the youngest world heavyweight champion in history. Was that handed to me? I went from being a third generation prospect to the three most deadly letters in sports entertainment. Was that handed to me? No. That all happened because I have the one thing, the one trait that last week on Raw you said I didn't have. And that is grit. But I don't know, I don't know, Edge. Maybe grit to you, grit to me, they mean two different things because grit to me isn't sitting at home for nine long years on your couch looking up to the sky and asking yourself, what if, what if, what if? No, 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 no. You know what grit is to me? Grit to me is longevity. 
in an industry that seldom has any. Now you call me an entitled brat. <laughs> but aren't you the ultimate opportunist? Are you telling me that you wouldn't have done the same thing had the opportunity presented itself? If Triple H asked you to join evolution, would you have said no? Last week, you challenged me. You want Randy Orton versus Edge in a last man standing match at WrestleMania. Edge, you may be writing this story, but at WrestleMania, I'm gonna write the last chapter and end it. I accept. So I get your point about, you know, him being on the stage and cutting the promo that way. Personally, I didn't mind because what I thought WWE did was they kept the camera close on Randy Orton yes. for the majority of the promo. So it almost seemed like it was backstage, except you kind of not, not, not that it was backstage, but it seemed like there was not an arena behind him um, because they kept it so close, because they kept it so tight. And what I saw, especially at the end of the promo, was they really got in on his facial mannerisms and his expression. I also thought they did something very unique with that promo, which was they planned it out. So they didn't tell Randy what to say exactly, um, but they said, hey, what are you going to mention? And he picked three or four things, and they were able to live on Raw. And maybe it, there's possible, it, it's certainly possible that it was taped, 100%. But it seemed to me to be live. Live on Raw, they were able to insert clips of moments that Randy Orton was talking about as he was giving the promo. I thought the promo was great. I thought the production was great. There was an additional line at the end, and the same thing happened with Seth Rollins. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, there was an additional line at the end that I thought was unnecessary, but the promo itself and the production of it personally, I thought was great, and I didn't see any reason why it couldn't have been done in the same spot it was done. Yeah, absolutely. It was in the same spot as the AJ promo, but it was produced differently for the, for the reasons right. you just laid out. And it made a world of difference. You can do a seemingly backstage promo like that. If you film it, like you do Randy, that's that works the exact same way as well. So that's another way to do it. Um, yeah. Great promo from Randy overall. I, I wasn't in love with him kind of changing the reasoning. You know, he, he went from saying, Edge loved the crowd. He was a junkie for the crowd to now that's saying Adam's a junkie for Edge. I mean, I guess it's taking it another level. It's it's it, it's okay. It just felt a little bit of it felt like, all right, we're, we're trying to stretch this out a little bit longer because we can't do anything else. We can't have Randy and Edge in a tag match or something right now. Right. Uh, but all things considered, given the situation, I, I think they did as good a job as they could. Yeah, I do think they had clearly planned one additional level of confrontation or something yeah. like that on the, on the road to mania and they're stuck not doing it next week. You know, what are we going to get? Um, you know, my assumption is that since they are taping WrestleMania, everyone's in town. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get an edge Orton face to face, um, of some type on the next raw, the go home raw, um, obviously before their match at mania. So I'm going to be curious to see what they go from here. I do agree that from a storyline perspective, it was the first time in the entire feud that it deviated from being perfect. At the same time, the promo was near perfect. Yeah. So it's it's like you gave us a good segment. Did it kind of make complete sense? Maybe not, but it was still really good. So I'm going to give them a pass on it. And I do like that they are continuing to allow this to close raw because 
It is the, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, it is the best built storyline for WrestleMania. It's not going to main event either night, um, but it is the number one match I think people actually want to see on the show. The, well, well, actually, I mean, with this new format, do you think it could? No, I, I think I, I think I feel, like, I feel like you could make a case because there's not a crowd and everything is less high stakes or lower stakes, so to speak. I feel like you could end it with with Randy Edge and it wouldn't feel out of place like maybe it would have before. I guess theoretically, your final three matches for Mania could be or your final four matches for Mania could be like on Sunday could be Drew Brock, Becky, Shayna. Roman, Bray, and then Edge Orton, you know, potentially. Um, or you could do Edge Orton as the main event of Saturday and then do the other three matches on Sunday. What I think they're going to do, though, I think they're going to try to give uh, McIntyre and Reigns a WrestleMania moment and have them main event their respective shows. I think you're right. I just wonder if Roman Goldberg just has, if there's just nothing to it right now. I feel like they could get away with it and it, it would still work if, if, you main evented Edge Orton over a card that has Goldberg Roman on it. I mean, I would do it, but you know, we're not booking and that's it. And he's the I one who chose, saying, and he's the one who chose to put the title on Goldberg like 30 days yeah. after remaining. Like I, I was not yeah. a fan. I was not a fan of this main eventing when it started, even though it was awesome. I felt like you had to have the belts be the main. But with the way things have played out the last few weeks, with nothing going on because of everything that's happening in the world, I think they're I I think they could do it and it would work. But that may I think I think a window's opened and also having the two day show, it is certainly possible that it could main event Saturday. I I see zero way it main event Sunday, but I do think it could main event Saturday show. That is fair. Uh, The other thing I did want to talk about, though, is the other promo, which I thought was. I mean, look, I've said it like a couple times this year. One of the best promos that we've had from WWE in years, and that is Seth Rollins cutting an absolutely sick promo on Kevin Owens in the penultimate live segment on Monday Night Show. I think they had that uh, Asuka, uh, Charlotte Flair, WrestleMania match between them. Um, Look, I thought the Kevin Owens, to your point, and to the uh, DM Sliders point, the Kevin Owens promo in the ring was kind of lame. Kevin as a face is not really a great promo. He is very smart. He's a good promo in general. But him as a heel, it's like he kills it. As a face, sometimes it gets you know, a little monotonous or a little um, repetitive, I guess is actually the best word to use. But once Seth came out, you kind of felt like business had picked up. The look that Seth has as, as this Monday Night Messiah character, it's strong. And then he starts talking. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is a pretty good promo. And then all of a sudden, it becomes great. So again, let's pause. I'm going to have you all listen to it. And we're going to talk about it coming up right now. Kevin... <laughs> Do you honestly believe that fighting me in this building gives you the home field advantage? I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that, and I just I can't seem to understand it. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't train here. You're right. You, you did train here. You said you made tons of memories and friends here. You earned your job here at WWE in this building. See, I didn't train in this building because it didn't exist when I got to WWE. This building was built on my blood, sweat, and tears, Kevin, on my sacrifice, on my success. Day after day, I had to suffer. 
I had to persevere. I had to succeed. Not for me, Kevin. No, it's never about me. I had to succeed for people like you. So you could get an opportunity to train in a beautiful facility like this. I rebuilt this system from the ground up and I've been trying to do the same thing for Monday Night Raw and you keep standing in my way and I don't know if it's your selfishness, I don't know if it's your ego that keeps getting in the way, but you just continue to refuse to fall in line. None of this exists without Seth Rollins. NXT doesn't exist without Seth Rollins. The Performance Center doesn't exist without Seth Rollins. Every single person that has stepped foot in here owes me. There is no Gargano. There is no Ciampa. There is no Undisputed Era. There's no TakeOver. There is no women's evolution without Seth Rollins. You know what? I'm not going to sit here and listen to you. Kevin, delusional speech. Kevin, listen. Every single week, you come out here and you tell me less talking, more fighting. So please, just let me finish. Can I finish, please? My second question is more important. Because I want to know, I need to know why on earth you picked WrestleMania of all places to try to make an example out of me. Do you know my track record at WrestleMania? I won the Intercontinental Championship. I won the Universal Championship. I beat Brock Lesnar. I beat Triple H. I cashed in my money in the bank contract at WrestleMania. I've got more WrestleMania moments than I can count. And Kevin, you have... Zero. Your WrestleMania track record reads like this. Failure after failure after failure after failure. And what about last year? Oh, that's right. You weren't even good enough to be on WrestleMania. <laughs> I don't get it, Kev. You can't beat me on my worst day. And WrestleMania is never my worst day. Because under pressure, I become a god. So I love the promo, Chris, because there were so many different elements in there that spoke to me. Um, talking about how the Performance Center is not an advantage for Kevin Owens, how nothing in WWE, because of his warped mind now, nothing would exist without him, without Seth Rollins. Not the Performance Center, not NXT. Uh, you know, he want, his successes at WrestleMania over the last few years, how many mania moments he's had. The small problem is he said Owens had none. Well, Owens actually beat Jericho for the US title at Mania 33. We all know about that. What I thought he missed was he should have brought up Owens being bumped from the WWE Championship match last year. I thought a little bit of breaking kayfabe there would have gone a long way for that pr uh, promo to be an all-timer. 
but the closing freaking line or the line that should have been the last line. There was an additional one after it. WWE cut it off on the audio that I just uh, played for you for good reason, because the promo should have ended here. Uh, WrestleMania is never my worst day because under pressure, I become a god. It's somewhat reality based on kayfabe. Uh, It speaks to how warped his mind has become as this Monday Night Messiah character. I thought that is that's one of the best closing lines of a promo I've ever heard. Uh, And that promo was an all timer, um, at least in the modern era of WWE, this reality era, if you want to call it that. I thought that hit every single button it needed to. Absolute huge kudos to Seth Rollins. Nothing is more dastardly than a heel who's right. Exactly. We we so rarely get that. And we're getting with Orton, too. We're getting two heels who are serious, who are strong, and who generally are right. We're so used to Seth being a coward, everybody being a coward, everybody Mm -hmm. speaking in sarcasm, everybody putting up Photoshop images on the screen. Instead, this is what we've We've always wanted. We we didn't. We've wanted serious heels, and this is why. Because now, I am absolutely hyped for these two matches. It feels <laughs> like it feels like two heavyweights going at it now. It doesn't feel like there's shenanigans going on in the background, and there probably will be in the match or something like that. But it gets you more excited for a fight when it feels like two guys are on an equal level and are are on a very high level, and you're not you're not planning shenanigans in your head love the promo from Seth absolutely killed it that's I, that's the Seth I wanted when he I get why they didn't but when he was in the authority that's the Seth I wanted I hate that I hated that he was a coward the whole time I get why they did it it played it worked to some extent but I wanted him to evolve past that at some point and now he has now he's a serious badass heel who's going to tear you down and he's going to let you know that he did it and he's going to be right about it and knocked it out of the park. Absolutely loved it. Loved it. No, I I, that and Orton for the same reason. I I think they took a feud that had really been grading. It went on. It started way too early and it went on far too long. And so many things that happened in the feud stopped making sense. There were like three different face tag teams involved. Samoa Joe was in it. Obviously he got suspended but uh, he was in it, then he wasn't. Aleister Black was in it, then he wasn't. It, it just, it got so freaking convoluted that all we ever wanted was face Owens and heel Seth being the best versions of themselves head to head. And I think that's ultimately what we're going to get at WrestleMania. And I know that WrestleMania is a time where the faces go over and you send the fans home happy. But man, and we'll talk about it next week when we book the damn territory and we, we predict the show. If I was booking WrestleMania 36, I have uh, Seth Rollins go over Kevin Owens clean because this Rollins character is the best version, including the swarmy heel, the, the coward, the chicken shit uh, with, you know, J&J security, including all that, including the cash in, including the feud with Triple H when he was face. This is the best version of Seth Rollins that I think I've ever seen on the main roster, including the shield as well. Um, and I think occasionally you need the heel to go over. And this is a situation I'd put the heel over. I, I would get it because it's about how good he is. It's not, it, it's, it's not a heel who's going to cheat his way to another win and never get his, his, um, his, uh, up, uh, come back, whatever. He's not going to get it back over on him. 
Uh, right. But right. also uh, credit to Kevin Owens, who sold the Seth promo very well. He yes. looked down, somber, like he knew that Seth was right. And it wasn't instantly, oh, I'm going to fire up and I'm angry at you and I'm going to take your heat back. No, it let Seth have that heat. And and that was the end of it. And Seth comes out of that with a lot of momentum. The face can always get the momentum back. It's hard for the heel to get real momentum. And uh, Seth got it. And Kevin Owens did a great job of really emotionally letting him have it just by the look on his face. Yeah, I do have some curiosities about that promo, too, because like Owens did interrupt him for a brief moment in the middle. And yes. I, I wonder a couple things. One, was that planned on purpose? If not, then was that a, maybe the last line was planned. But was that an off the cuff promo from Seth Rollins? If so, that's even more impressive. Now, I don't think that the writers could have written that. So I do know that those were his words. So I don't have really any concerns about whether that was written for him or not. But it just the way it transpired, the way that Seth spoke, it felt completely original, completely real, 100% him. Uh, and again, that closing line I thought just was absolutely killer. One other thing to add, because you made the point, uh, when heels are allowed to be heels and when their rationale makes sense and is legitimate, that is the best type of heel. You look at Chris Jericho on AEW, him wanting mm -hmm. people to thank him and praise him uh, for being the one that you know helped that company exist. You know what? Would it have existed without him? Yeah. Would it have gotten nearly as much attention if Chris Jericho didn't sign and turned down apparently a decent offer from WWE in order to do so? No, it wouldn't have. So like that, that, that made Jericho a great heel. This makes Rollins a great heel, and I hope they pay it off. Okay, moving on to the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling. Got only four topics this week, so we have plenty of time to talk about them, but we're going to go through them pretty quick. Uh, we had that Goldberg-Roman Reigns contract signing um, to close SmackDown. And look, I'm getting sick, not so much of contract signings. Stop throwing chairs and tables. Like, I know they needed to do something to, like, enhance the, the picture of those two guys standing in the ring to make it exciting. If you want to toss the chairs out to start, hey, we're not going to sit down for this. I'll take it. Fine. Okay. But, like, how many uh, table tip-overs are we going to have in these empty arena, Matt, in these empty arena shows. Like we just had The Undertaker do it for no good reason uh, a couple weeks ago. Now we have this. It's just so lame. Like, yeah, you can flip over a table. You know who else can? Like a six-year-old kid could flip over that table. It's not any measure of strength. The chair thing is actually pretty impressive because those are like 40, 45 pounds and you're easily tossing them out of the ring. I get it. But like once Braun Strowman like took that desk chair and used it to like as, as like a javelin and threw it into someone <laughs> yeah. that ended yeah. it. There's, you're never going to get better than that. So I don't need to see chairs thrown anymore. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have a, I guess I don't have a ton to say about Roman Goldberg just because there's been nothing to this really the whole time. I'm just not into it that we, we, we give a, we get a contract signing that, like you said, is very similar to the one they did with AJ Undertaker, which didn't need a contract signing in the first place. It wasn't a championship match, not the big of a deal. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, they just kind of, I, I get you, you want the face-to-face -face for the video and package and whatnot, but I don't know. Other than that, I'm just not feeling this at all. I'm not really, there, I'm not feeling any animosity, real animosity between these two. That doesn't feel absolutely forced. And uh, it's too bad because I think Roman is very good at what he does and deserves better than, than being in this match. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think ultimately that this was a mistake, just putting the title on Goldberg. I, we've, I've talked about it, you know, many times on audios that I've taped. Uh, before getting over, you know, when this title change happened. But like if they wanted Fiend Cena and Reigns Goldberg, they they could have just kept the title 
um, on Fiend and had Cena and Reigns like get into this thing and and Goldberg. I, I don't even know what they honestly like. I'm I'm kind of talking out of my ass here. I don't know what they could have done, but like they were setting up for Roman Reigns Fiend. They had the entire storyline of anyone but you, Roman. It worked. It would have been a really good main event. And they just gave it away to get Goldberg in there. And no one believes Goldberg is going to walk out of here with the title. There are some matches like, could I see John Cena beating The Fiend? I could see it, right? I don't think he's going to. I could see it. I do not see oh, any way. I could way. absolutely see it. Yeah, I, I, but I do not see any way in which Goldberg beats Roman Reigns. It would make zero sense. So right. they took a match that I was legitimately excited about, and they could have found something good for Cena to do. Hell, man, they could have done Cena Goldberg. If you're going to beat Goldberg anyway, why not have Cena Goldberg? Um, and they took those potentials and they just gave us two matches that I care far less about than I did. And that's not to say the Cena Fiend match won't be good. I actually think it's going to be good. They've done a really good job building it with the exception of the corniness of him tipping his hat, uh, in that first time that they met, uh, and the reasoning for it and stuff. But, but outside of that, they've actually done a pretty good job that the face-to-face promo, uh, two weeks ago, I think it was with the Fiend as the Firefly Funhouse version, um, you know, standing face-to-face with Cena. I thought that was fantastic. So they're doing okay there, but Roman Reigns Goldberg, I don't give two shits about it. I just, it's it's not going to be a good match. Roman's going to go over. It should be pretty quick, and it just cheapens the entire thing. I, it's terrible. Okay, moving on here. Uh, Becky Lynch attacking Shayna Baszler from behind on Raw after that kind of awkward interview segment with Charlie Caruso. Um, I thought it was really solid, man. Like being able to darken the lights like that allowed, you know, and have the camera angle the way they did allowed the Becky attack to be a surprise. I thought they nailed it. You know, it's a little bit less intense when you don't have the crowd going crazy for the chair shots. But other than that, I thought it was a really good way for Becky to get back at Sheena for the vampire bat bite attack from a couple weeks ago. And I still don't care much about the feud. And I still have my own opinions about how it's going to finish. We'll talk about that next week. But I at least thought this was a good segment and a good way to get some additional heat heading into Mania. Is is Becky Lynch the, the face? I, I I don't know. This, yeah, this whole this whole thing Why has been she... it's just been very weird. Her driving the truck felt like an NWO move. That the, Austin the Austin did that. Austin did that all the time. But but it was toward like a, a villain who was the the corporate leader. It wasn't. He was just driving it on his own, talking about how great he is. That I don't know. I it, the the whole I don't know. This whole thing's been a little bit off to me. I think it'll be a good match. Shayna's great. I it just feels like. Becky's kind of all over the place. She's a lot better as the underdog who finally gets to the top. Kind of like Austin. Austin was better when he was chasing the title. He was good when he had the title, but he was better when he was chasing the title and he had a villain to go after. Becky just, I don't know. It, it feels like, you know, Becky Ronda would have been great in the spot. Obviously, I think Shayna's there. It's just everything feels weird. Shayna's getting attacked. She's a vampire. I don't know. I just I don't have a ton of solid thoughts on this because it's been all over the place. And last week or I think it was last week when Becky drives in the truck, the Becky Lynch truck, and there's just nothing goes on with it. Just very strange. I know it's weird circumstances, but I'm just very confused at where how we're supposed to feel about both of these people. Apparently, they had some plans for that truck um, on the road to WrestleMania, and they they had already had it made and they just kind of wanted to use it on TV. Um, Yeah. You know, they, she, they also could have just saved it for Mania, and that could have been how she arrived at the arena. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but you know, regardless, you're right. I mean, there's not a lot of juice to this storyline, despite the fact that they tried to give it some. I think the Shayna Baszler match at Elimination Chamber fell flat. Um, it was it, The booking was fine. The idea 
but the execution was terrible. Um, many moments in this feud just haven't been great. They've actually both done a better job building this on Twitter than they have on Raw. So that just goes yeah. to show you. Uh, what's I would going just on. rather like I'd rather like Shanna's being built as Brock esque, and I'd rather keep it like that. Just have Becky try to sneak attack her, but Shayna gets the upper hand yes. or something like that. And Becky feels a little bit scared, so she has a little bit of an underdog going into this. It doesn't feel like it's inevitable Shayna's going to finally get her way. Having them go back and forth in 50-50, it, uh, I don't think helps either of them. No, I, I do agree with that. And maybe we'll get Shayna going over strong in some way or another next week, maybe a backstage attack or something like that. It would be cool to see Shayna brutalize Becky um, on next week's Raw ahead of Mania and then have that come, you know, even though she's the man, she's held the title for a calendar year. You still want her to be in that underdog role against this dominant woman, right? Um, but the problem is I don't think they've taken long enough or done a good enough job building up Shayna Baszler and making her interesting for it to happen. Uh, similarly, on SmackDown, you know, you know, I, I think the plan may have been Bailey versus Sasha Banks at WrestleMania a few weeks, you know, a couple months ago. Maybe they were going to build to that, uh, but they're not doing that. And what they are instead doing is a women's, it was going to be a six-way elimination match. Now it's a five-way, apparently, along with Rey Mysterio. Dana Brooke is also in quarantine, uh, according to Dave Meltzer. So now it's going to be a fatal five-way. Um, Bailey defending her title against Sasha Banks, which was interesting. Um, Tamina, for no reason. Naomi, Lacey Evans, and... Am I missing someone? Uh, Bailey, Lacey, Tamina, Naomi, Sasha, and then... Is that five? Yeah, that's five. All right, so those five. Uh, so that's the match. They threw Tamina in just because whatever. I, I did find it funny, though, that <laughs> Bailey on SmackDown Friday was like, what are you going to do, put Tamina in a match? And then Paige is like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we haven't even seen Tamina on television. I don't, you know, I think she was in the Royal Rumble, but besides that, we haven't even seen her on television since she was healthy enough to come back. Um, I would have much preferred, Nia Jax is healthy, by the way. Um, I would have preferred, like, throwing her in there and being like, oh, my God, like, not that Nia Jax is great or anything, but at least it's exciting versus mm-hmm. Amina where you know or she better get eliminated first. Um, so, you know, I think it's like fine. Um, but at the same time, it feels forced to me. Do you have any significant interest in this match? Not until it gets down to Sasha Bailey. Um, right. Other than that, I, I, I hope Naomi has some good spots and gets to shine because she's been great and um, wish they could find some space for her because uh, – she deserves it, but Lacey and Tamina, yeah. yeah. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like you could have put in the the Asuka, Alexa Bliss stuff into this, considering how bloated the card already is. Um, but, yeah, not really into this match until it gets down to assuming, assumingly the final two, which I know Paige kind of hinted at as well, and they seem to be getting there. So that'll be good, but, you know, other than that, yeah. Yeah, I think it gives them a reason to give us Bailey Banks without a storyline to yeah. take it into a feud, right? Um, I do think a better booking, you're right. I, I would have put Asuka and Kyrie Sane um, against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against Bailey and Sasha Banks. And you can easily say that Bailey wants to be a double champion because she's beaten everyone. That's the storyline they've told. And mm-hmm. Sasha, Sasha, Bailey's like, you deserve a title too. You know, you're just, you're equal with me. You put them in that match and now you have a bonkers six woman tag team match where it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, like a triple threat. I mean, triple threat tag team match where I, I think that could have been an incredible match um, for the best women's workers in the, in the company. Nikki Cross and, isn't, is, isn't bad either. Five of the five of like the eight best maybe on the main roster in one match. It would have been great. Um, and, and, so, and it'd be great to see the women's tag team belts like defended ever since we got them. 
Right. Well, yeah, I mean, Kyrie was hurt, but yes, you're right. Yeah. It's been very inconsistent that they haven't been defended much. I do think we're still going to get Bliss and Cross against, you know, the Kabuki Warriors. So we're going to, we should at least probably still see those four. But I think you could have done this in the same way you did Andrade. You're not giving him a solo match, but you're still putting him in a big match. And it would have worked. The only kind of saving grace here, if you can have Bailey beat Sasha, maybe not even in the last match, but in the penultimate match on the elimination, and it starts turning Sasha, she starts getting angry. They have four, only four months until SummerSlam. We don't know what TV is going to be like. We're not sure what they're going to do. But you can do a four-month build to a Bailey-Sasha Banks match, potentially at your first major pay-per-view back in front of a live audience in August. And I think that could be a huge match. So I'm holding out hope that they go in that direction. One other thing here, wrapping up the fastest 15 minutes, uh, the Miz and Morrison tag team match against Heavy Machinery ended in a DQ. Obviously, Dolph Ziggler got involved. Was it the greatest match in WWE history? No, certainly not. But it's something that we haven't talked about on today's show. And I did want to point out, I thought Otis in that match and after that match did incredible work as a wrestler. Like the things that it takes to be a wrestler, you entertain the crowd, you you wrestle well, you cut good promos and you tell a story. And I thought Otis crying in Tucker's arms after that match, getting emotional, his anger towards Dolph, them losing concentration on the match at hand. I just thought it was incredible work from a guy that, you know, he gets praised because he's funny, but I thought he went so far above and beyond that, that he, ex- he deserved extra kudos on today's show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he did a great job of that. He's done a great job with everything he's been given. Um, I know it, it feels inevitable that he may split up with Tucker at some point, but um, I like them together. I like, uh, they play off each other. Well, Tucker doesn't get as much attention, but they do play off each other pretty well. And He's showing a lot of different tools here, which is really good. It was it, That was a perfectly fine match. And I actually think Miz and Morrison have done a pretty good job with the uh, no crowd stuff over the past few weeks. I thought their impersonation things were kind of funny. You know, they're, they're doing so, it feels like it's something different compared to everything else I'm seeing on the show. Uh, I think they've been doing a good job. I think Otis did a great job. And uh, we'll see who they end up facing in the, the title match. I wouldn't have hated a four-way tag team match between all these teams, though. Well, I do think we're still going to get Otis Dolph, um, whether that's a a quote-unquote kickoff show match or an undercard match. I think we'll get that on the show. And, you know, I think there's probably going to end up being some, you know, schmaz type of finish uh, Friday on SmackDown, and we'll end up getting a triple threat tag team match with New Day, Usos, and Miz and Morrison. So I think there's an opportunity for Usos to have a big moment or Kofi to have another big moment with Big E. Um, maybe you can even get Xavier Woods there to cheer them on from the crowd, even though, you know, he can't compete or can't do anything. So I'm kind of curious to see what they do there. But I think that Otis and Dolph, again, it's a long-term storyline. They're paying it off. Like you can Mm -hmm. crap on WWE, but you know, before this pandemic hit, when they were still doing shows in front of live audiences, they were building a number of very good long-term storylines. They did take away certainly Reigns and Wyatt, which I thought was a travesty, but there's another, there's plenty of others. Uh, including Owens and Rollins, um, Otis and Dolph, which again, it's minor, but the Lucha Fatal 4A, which we all expected. Um, Even Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre, they had been doing a good job of telling a lot of these stories. And coming out of that brand split in October, I think WWE deserves a lot of credit for kind of turning on their creative juices. They're not at Attitude Era levels. They're not even at AEW Today levels or NXT levels today, but they are vastly improved from what they were 
you know, let's call it seven, eight months ago when we were talking about WWE being in one of the creative droughts, the biggest creative droughts that the company's had. So I do think they deserve a little bit of praise for that. All right. That is it for the main portion of getting over today. Chris, I want to thank you once again for stopping by. Uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Benini, V-A-N-N-I-N-I. He is a college football writer for The Athletic, and he is also the co-host of the Green and White Noise podcast on Michigan State football. Uh, Chris, what do you want to say before we uh, kick you out of here and I get to this getting over time and answer some fan questions? Uh, I'm just hoping football comes back. In months from now, I don't know where things are going to be in a few months, but uh, everybody stay safe out there. Wash your hands, show social distance. Things might look bad for the next few weeks, but it can get better and hopefully will in time for football. Yeah, let, let's remember your health is more important than many other things, including whatever happens uh, on Wall Street out there. So so stay safe, stay healthy. Chris, thanks again for joining me. Take your own advice, please. You know, we got plenty of more wrestling to talk on the way to WrestleMania 36 and beyond. So you stay safe out there as well. And let's stay tuned for Getting Overtime coming up right now. Okay, jumping into some of your DMs and questions here on Getting Overtime. Nizer at jnizer17 asks, if I knew they were going to force the too big for just one night line at us for WrestleMania 36, I would have turned it into a drinking game. Look, WWE is not going to do anything without overdoing it, right? So uh, I have no surprise that this is the tagline. Look, I think it's fair game this time. There are some taglines for WrestleMania or things they try to put over, like um, for the one of the Blood Money in the Sand shows, you know, equivalent to or bigger than WrestleMania, like that are legitimately annoying and and almost hurtful to the intelligence of a wrestling fan. Uh, this I'm fine with. It is too big for just one night. They're going to put on a lot of matches over two nights, and we're in a very unique situation that WWE, with very little time, only a couple weeks, is trying to promote that WrestleMania is going to be more than one night. So in this case, I'm okay with it, but funny comment anyway. Uh, coming in from Francisco Zamudio at F-Z-A-M-U-D-I-O. Uh, how underrated is it that Daniel Bryan was in both of the most iconic WrestleMania matches of the last 15, 20, 25 years? Crazy to think about. I'm going to stop you there. Was he in two of the most iconic WrestleMania matches? Yes, they were both very big. I, I wouldn't necessarily call either of them iconic, quote unquote. Iconic, I think of Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. I think of Seth Rollins cashing in. I think of Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, the Shawn Michaels Undertaker matches, Rock, Stone Cold, um, Rock Hogan. Those are iconic. But, you know, to be fair, the two Daniel Bryan matches, you're talking certainly about him winning the triple threat with um, Randy Orton and Batista. And, you know, losing to Kofi Kingston last year at WrestleMania 35, two of my favorite moments of all time, two of the best moments in WrestleMania history, still um, Kofi, Daniel Bryan for me, I'm telling you folks, number one moment I've ever seen live in professional wrestling, any brand, any year ever, top five all-time WrestleMania moment, personally, maybe my number one WrestleMania moment. If not, it's top three. It's very, very, very close. Shawn Michaels at R-E-E-B-82. Uh, wonder what WrestleMania would be like if Undertaker was still undefeated. I get it that Lesnar winning was to start the Brock era. That aside, think about the anticipation for every Taker match if he hadn't lost. His final WrestleMania loss would be his actual retirement match, right? And who gets to pin him on the current roster? It's a good question. I think at the time when Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker, for wrestling fans, it was offensive. And we all thought it was the wrong decision. The reason is, at the time, we had no idea 
that Brock Lesnar would remain on the WWE roster for six years, especially to now, especially making as many appearances as he has. Yes, he's not a full-time performer, but we do see him rather frequently compared to what we expected when he returned to WWE. Let's not forget, he previously spent like a year on the main roster, won the title, and then decided to quit WWE. We didn't think he'd ever be long for this company again. So when he came back, we're like, why are you going to sacrifice the Undertaker's undefeated streak to a guy who very well could be gone next month or next year? Well, what's happened since allows hindsight to be 2020. And if there was anyone that was legitimately going to end the Undertaker's streak, it had to be Brock Lesnar. It made the most sense. It catapulted Lesnar into this other level of main eventer that WWE has been able to book extremely strong ever since. Whether you agree with their booking or not, if you're going to book someone that way, that person needs to beat The Undertaker. So ultimately, it was probably the right decision. To your point, the aura of The Undertaker at Mania got lost. That's true. Let's not forget it really got lost when Roman Reigns beat him and they botched the finish of that match. So if it wasn't Taker, though, to answer the second part of your question, it would have been Roman Reigns. And with the way that they overpushed Reigns and forced him down people's throats, the moment actually would have been ruined. And it wouldn't have been nearly as exciting or shocking for Reigns to beat The Undertaker as it was at the time, Brock Lesnar beating The Undertaker. So hindsight is 2020 there. Michael James at Michael F. DTD. Would it be beneficial for shows like Raw and SmackDown when they are playing past matches to have new commentary from other wrestlers to try to explain strategy, similar to what ESPN does with coaches analyzing the College Football National Championship? Yes. If you're going to replay matches on WWE TV, it does not take a lot of effort to get some of the superstars involved in the match, either doing live commentary during the match instead of the audio that we were getting, or taking breaks maybe and only showing highlights of the matches and and doing a like a 30 for 30 style documentary or a coach's film room, which is really what you're referring to, uh, and allowing the wrestlers to kind of talk through what happened in the match, why it was important, even break kayfabe a little bit, uh, kind of like DVD extras. They do this on WWE Network. They allow them uh, to rewatch past matches and talk about things that happened in the past. I think that would be a much better use of these extended segments on Raw and SmackDown in this current environment um, than just airing an old match and like not really explaining much reason for even having it on TV. So uh, I do agree with you in many ways, um, but ultimately, yes, WWE, if they're going to keep doing this, which I'm fine with, they need to fill a three-hour show. There's only so much they can do. They got to get a little bit more creative. Last but not least, Nick Z at NZannyBoney93. He asks, uh, thoughts about WWE taping multiple finishes for Mania to avoid leaks. Also, what do you think about Bray doing commentary during the Fiend match? Uh, I don't want Bray to do commentary during the Fiend match, but because I think it's going to have some type of stipulation or special effect or something to that end, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear him talking and making noise or doing something like that throughout the match. So I wouldn't be surprised there. Um, I don't think WWE is going to go so far as to take multiple finishes because it's a closed set and there are so few people that are going to be there. There's a couple things to consider. One, they can have everyone sign a non-disclosure agreement. They know who is going to be there watching these matches. It is a very finite number of people. So if something leaks, it is very easy for Vince McMahon or people in WWE to figure out who leaked it. Certainly, you wouldn't think it would be the wrestlers or the referee. So that already takes three people out 
how many people are left. You don't think the commentary people are going to do it. So then you got the cameraman, the audio guy, people behind the scenes, Vince himself. So there's only going to be so many people watching these individual matches. I don't think they are going to leak. If they do, I actually don't think that someone like Dave Meltzer is going to end up spoiling them, even if he does find them out. So I don't think doing multiple finishes is necessary in this situation. What I will say, though, is if people think it is going to be funny to leak WrestleMania spoilers or fake leaking WrestleMania spoilers, you're a piece of crap. Just straight up. You can leak taped Raws or NXTs. These are all things that happen in the normal course of being a wrestling fan. WrestleMania is different. We are in a unique situation here. People are going to be counting on WrestleMania two nights, Saturday and Sunday, to take them out of the real world where something legitimately frightening is happening globally in terms of a pandemic with coronavirus. So don't kill people's entertainment, just like you wouldn't leak how, you know, uh, Game of Thrones is going to end or how The Wire is going to end. By the way, I am four seasons in. I'm about to start the fifth one today. I am infatuated with the show. It is incredible. But um, you're not going to leak the ends to those shows. Don't leak the finishes to WrestleMania. Be a normal person. Okay, that is it for Getting Over this week. Please follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Don't forget, please hit up Apple Podcasts. Drop that five-star review. You know you want to. You know we need it. And please don't forget also, hit me up on Twitter if you are actually interested in contributing financially to help the show get some of the things we need, a little bit of better audio equipment, uh, some sound dampening stuff in the office, and most importantly, a soundboard. That's my number one addition as soon as I have the funds to do it. So if you are actually interested, hit me up and maybe I'll start a, a Patreon or a, you know Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something like that. I'll consider it. I'm not going to promise it. I didn't really ever want to ask anyone for money, but if it is something you're interested in doing, uh, I would certainly be amenable to it. So on the way out here, once again, thank you all for listening. We'll be back Thursday with our Wednesday Night War show. I expect to get a real version of NXT this week, at least in some ways. And certainly, you know, Dynamite last week was great, so I'm curious to see what they do Wednesday as well. So for Chris Benini, thank thanks again to him for joining me on this edition of Getting Over. I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and I got just three words for you. Bye for now.